Let's welcome tonight's speaker, Rob. Hi, everyone. I'm Rob, a compulsive overeater. Hi, Rob. And I just want to, I understand this is a century meeting, and that, that's not my story. I just want to be, you know, make sure everyone's comfortable. I wasn't sure if everybody would be, how people would feel about that, because my other program is al so I'm very worried about your feelings. Um, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you got to make a laugh. Um, I am really grateful to be here. I on the 19th of October was my, my six month um, six months of abstinence. Thank you. And you know, this time around in, in program is so different. Um, when I first came, someone told me to come. So I came, being a good little doobie. And you know, I'd already at that point, let me go back. It it didn't stick because I didn't. I was full of fear, and I stayed in my my main program. I've been in it for over twenty five years because that that one got me here. And this time around, you know, being here, you know, I get to touch those places that I couldn't reach in my other program, and it's pretty cool and it's freaking scary and I thought I knew how to feel feelings which I do not like this (laughs) Um, but I'm grateful you know my my story really starts with a family disease of alcoholism my parents both used um, alcohol my mother used some other things too and so our household was chaotic and I really I don't have any memory of things being particularly bad, although it was very already abusive. I have this memory of my father. The neighbors across the street were at our house and they were playing cards and I reached over to tickle my father. And he re- then he, his response was to punch me like you would punch a full-grown man. And I was like six or seven. And I tried to leave the room so I could go burst into tears because it hurt. And my mother wouldn't let me get up. And so I remember the, the look on the neighbor's face. His mouth had dropped open. And I felt so ashamed. And I don't know if it was that moment or more moments like that, but I learned to internalize shame. And as my family got sicker and more and deeper into their addiction, things got crazy, crazy. Um, and I think that one of the they would fight at night and there would be hollering that you could hear things being pushed around there would be things being broken and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and when my sister was old enough she would come into my room terrified crying because she was scared you know that's the sort of that's the backdrop you know I don't remember having misused food as a kid but I do remember in the fifth grade when things really started getting bad, like really bad. Like they were rocky before, but my great-grandfather passed away, and my mother used that as a tipping point to just go with her, with her uh, substances. And that's when I, I started checking out. Like I would go to school. I wouldn't take lunch. I just, I withdrew. And, you know, 
puberty's not so great, and it's not so great when you have a family who's tripping out on stuff. And, you know, for me, I think I started to, um, I wasn't present for much of the time. Um, I don't, and I think around that time, too, my mother started drinking when my father went to work, and so it just became this, um, I couldn't tell school about home, and I couldn't tell home about school. So where did it go? It stayed in. And that went on for many years. And I really never knew who I was, you know. And I became very self-conscious. I mean, these are silly things, but it's the truth. I, I wouldn't eat at school. I wouldn't go to the bathroom at school. I just, I just went in. And somehow, I still made grades enough to stay in school. And that's always amazed me. Um, I do remember that getting into my teenage years, my parents started telling me I was fat. Now, I don't know. I have pictures that I can't go through all the time. Like, I've got my baby pictures, and I'm like this. And he's cute. And his hair's sort of reddish. He's just a doll. It's been a few years. And he... I look at him and I see the smile on his face and I and I and I love that little boy. I've got a couple of pictures. There's some others I can't quite look at yet because I think there's they still touch times I'm I'm not really comfortable with yet going there, but um my mother would bake. Um she liked to bake Christmas time there'd be lots of sweets of all sorts and there would there would be a full weekend of this just cooking and baking and baking and baking and baking. Um, it was one of the things she liked to do, and I found my solace. I don't know if we mentioned foods here. It was my mother would make chocolate chip cookies, and she had this big Tupperware clear thing, and she'd make them and fill them, and that's where my feelings went. Um, she wouldn't cook dinner at night, and so there was one meal a day. And also, I typically my sister and I had to wake up my father, who was, you know, he was pep, he was hungover to get a ride to school it went on every morning and I thought that was normal I know I just did that was the way it was and we didn't talk about it nobody knew about it um, but we pretended to be the perfect family so in my teenage years you know my parents really had gotten nutty severely nutty even worse he was going to work drunk um as soon as he was out the door, she was asking us to make concoctions for her to drink. And around that time, the comments started about my body. Sometimes they were sexual comments. Sometimes they were about I was too fat. I would get weightlifting gifts for Christmas. I would get, you know, I would, as punishment, my father... So we had five acres of land. My father would have me run around the perimeter of the five acres and all I ever had was a sense it felt like I wasn't enough and it was a constant message and if I did lose a little weight my mother would comment on the shape of my bum um, and I didn't I didn't know then that was sort of emotional rape is what was going on 
But the way that I dealt with it, I know now, is that I still today, if I know I'm in my disease or something's kicked up because I start wanting to change clothes because I need to hide myself. And then if that, if it keeps trickling down, I start weighing myself. And I'm not saying like once or twice. <laughs> and in my head, I have to take the average of however many times I did it. And it's never the right number. And so it is a reason to punish myself for the rest of the day. Now, it doesn't matter if I were truly this or if I were truly this. It would be the same thing. I can't see, I can't, I don't know the space I take. When I'm connected to my higher power, it doesn't seem to matter. And I'm grateful for that. And I, I have a cousin who is a psychologist who, she's a wonderful dear friend beyond being related to her. And she's, we're five months different in age. And she, I call her kid and she calls me an old man. Wait till she hits 50. <laughs> um, but we talk about the things that are happening for us and what's going on. And, you know, I, I don't think I have body dysmorphia, but I had to ask because I don't know, I didn't know anybody else except in these rooms that had a distorted sense of the space they took. And for me, it, it can turn into panic and terror. Like, I have to fix this. And I feel like this big blob. And I know now when, it, when that spiral starts to pick up the phone. Because that spiral used to take me into, I would go home at night, close the bedroom door, and I wouldn't come out. And it was this deep pit of despair that I could not climb out of. And I could not bear for someone to touch me, to hug me, to express any kind of care, even though that's what I desperately needed. Um... It, you know, there were times when my mother would, um, she wanted to keep me up at night because she didn't want to be alone until my father got home at midnight. And I remember this, oh, it's a great memory. My mother, we were playing Sorry, and I was falling asleep. And she took her glass of soda and threw it in my face. You know, those, that's the kind of, she was vindictive and she was sadistic. I know to use those words now. And so, you know, as my teenage years went, it was more pressure. It was the, there were more comments. And I just, I checked out. There was nowhere else to go. I had to check out. Um, I was terrified about the world. I thought that you were supposed to live and then die. And it was supposed to be awful because that's what I saw mirrored. You know, they didn't have the tools to give me lots of the, the information you give children about being in the world and about being around others and help them discover their potential and their curiosities <coughs> and their dreams. I didn't have that. Um, and, you know, it got worse, and she got much more insane as I got older. And at that point, I think... I think I had gotten to a size 38 pant-wise, and I was terrified because I, the feedback, again, was that I was fat and I needed to lose weight. And so, you know, I shrunk down again. And I was After I graduated, I went to school. I, got, I actually got a scholarship to go to school. Didn't expect that to happen because 
good things didn't happen to me. Um, I worked very hard in, in high school. And you know, it's funny, I look back and I think, I was so vacant. I, I barely, I almost got a 3.0 grade point average and I was vacant. I don't know how I did that. In my senior year of high school, it was the first, they were gonna teach their first calculus class and I desperately wanted to take it because for some reason it was something for me to prove. And so I convinced a teacher to teach a trigonometry course, a three week, three hour a day course so that it would make me qualify to take that in others. I did that and I was checked out. I passed it, barely, and I got into calculus. And I got, that made me feel good. It was the hardest damn class I have ever taken because I'm not a math person, but I needed to do it. And, you know, it was an advanced placement course as well. And the, ugh, I still think of the things I learned. I learned so much. I can't replicate it today, but I learned so much. But it was one of those moments that I didn't know, I didn't know how capable I was because I'd never heard that. I didn't know. So going to, to college was terrifying because I was going to school and there was, lot, there was diversity. And I, I'd never experienced that because I lived in this farming town. And, you know, it, I don't remember my weight wobbling because I was so embedded. I was, it was just buried, and it, it's still, parts of it are still buried. Um, so that's sort of where I come from. You know, my first time in OA, um, I had, I'd started losing weight. Now, mind you, I can't see what you can see. And so people started commenting. They said, oh, you need to go to OA. So being a good, you know, the good little boy, I went to OA. And I went, and I went, and I went, and I white-knuckled it. And the other thing that was happening with me is that I was controlling my food so hard that the weight kept coming off and coming off until I got to a point when a friend of mine who was also in both programs said, Honey, I think you're eating too many carrots. And I didn't, I didn't know what she meant. <laughs> and... I remember there, there, around that time there was a Thanksgiving and I went to Michigan to see my mother and she looked at me and said, you have the figure of a woman. Mm-hmm. And again, I didn't know what she meant because I was used to the comments. Um, my first time in OA, I went and I went and I went because I was, I was told to by people I trusted and I went. Um, but it, I didn't get the miracle. I, I did what I was told, but it didn't sink in. And through that time, I was still in my other program, my primary program, and I, was, I, I worked it. I kept going. I saw professionals when I needed to. And before we, you know, I, I lived in Boston for 16 years, and before we moved out, I, I stopped going because I just wasn't, I didn't understand why they kept talking about the food. Why do you keep talking about the food? Why do you keep talking about the food? There's all this other stuff. Well, I, I didn't get it. So we came out here and I tried to go to a couple of meetings and I just, it, I walked away feeling uncomfortable and, I, and that was that. 
you know, I, and at that point, um, I think my, I know my tummy was sticking out more, but, and I weighed about 266, I think was around, um, and I still, you know, I went to my other program, I did all this stuff, and I started to feel uncomfortable in my body again. I wasn't, a therapist had taught me that, what if you put the scale away? And I thought, really? So I did. And I stopped using it. And that felt really freeing. But the other downside to have holding the shame and the self-hatred is that if a pair of pants felt too, if they felt a certain way on my skin, I'd have to buy a new pair. I'd have to get rid of them. You can imagine the money I've spent on pants that didn't feel right. Um, that was the other thing. I couldn't quite figure out, like, what's wrong with me? And I really wouldn't talk about it because I was so ashamed about it. Um, and I wouldn't tell anybody about, you know, there was a long period that the self-hatred and shame was so strong that I would actually grab my skin to cut it off. I didn't ever do it, and I don't know to this day whatever stopped me. That was grace, because I would have. The feeling was just intense. I hated myself that much. And, you know, when I've... Coming out here, program was different. How program works, you know, how they work the meetings and what they say and how they pray and all this stuff was different. And, you know, I... First, I'm like, why are they why are they welcoming a newcomer? Because you know, in Boston, we're like, you know, raise your hand if you know, blah blah blah. If you have any questions, come to us afterwards. And, and here, they're like, oh yay, there's a newcomer. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know, I was I came from Boston, the East Coast. It was like, you know, this is what you do. You got to do it yourself. Um, and so it took some getting used to. But I found, you know, those meetings and those people that I was drawn to. And you know, this year. I have 25 years in that program. And I thought, well, well, now what do I do? How do I, how do I stay fresh? How do I keep moving? <laughs> I asked the question. You know, a friend of mine who's in this program and also in my other program, I was telling him about, you know, I'm thinking about going back to OA. And he said, well, why don't you come to a meeting with me? All right. That was April 19th of this year. And I kept coming back. And it wasn't a question. I just, I just, I just kept coming, because I started hearing stuff that I hadn't heard before. And I, you know, I was in the first month and a half. I was very euphoric, and then the feelings came. <laughs> and I asked someone to sponsor me, and this, this was different. This was different, and I. My food, what I was eating then, has become so much less. And how I eat and when I eat has changed, and it doesn't feel controlled. And I never had that before. I couldn't let it in. And I, I'm not, I don't feel uncomfortable about talking about the things I struggle with that come up in this program. And one of them is, you know, I, I have a sleep disorder isn't that a surprise I have other things that happen to my body that I have no control over and especially this past weekend I was feeling that anger towards my parents 
because I have to do work because of what you did to me. And thank you. And for me, that's putting appropriate, directing anger appropriately and putting the responsibility where it belongs. It doesn't mean that I don't take care of myself. I do. I, there's some things I have to do with sleep and I have to use this machine and I have to use melatonin and I, the little boy says, I don't want to do this because I feel like a machine. I have to do it. You know, I stop breathing 40 times an hour. There's no, I have no control over that. And I know that my, you know, my body's been rewired. My brain's been rewired. I can't fix that. But what I can do is I can come into these rooms and find the, the courage and hear people sharing and I can relate. You know, all of us know that pain. All of us do. And abuse is, is a large part of my story. And I've learned to wrap my arms around it and embrace it because it's just me. Does it mean that I don't have sticky points? No. And in fact, this just yesterday, I... I spent about an hour writing. I just had to peel it out of my head because it, I could feel I was choking I, and I knew I needed to write and I just couldn't do it. It took me a couple of days because it just it felt too overwhelming. And you know, one of the things I've learned to trust is, my, is the pace of my higher power. And in OA particularly, I have found I have an ease of surrendering and trusting that I didn't quite have before. And I'm not afraid to just turn the day over. Because when I turn the day over, it just takes its own form. I don't have to worry. I don't have to feel bad that I did something or I didn't do something or the day didn't go well enough. It just goes. And I find that both in you know this program and in my other program, I do lots of service, but it's not, you know, it's not showing up and reading the stuff sometimes is meeting people and having conversations and talking about what we're struggling with or taking people to the hospital I've done that I've picked them up from the hospital I've I've done all this sort of thing because because I'm available and I heard this speaker from another program long ago I lo- and it was on a cassette tape that gives any hint um, he said if the date's available it's yours and I've never forgotten it if the date's available it's yours and it works really well. And I, you know, today I'm having a day of ease. It's, the day's just flowed. I feel, I feel really grateful. And I, the tears are there, but I just feel serene. I feel grateful and I feel humble. And, you know, I, when I took a chip on Sunday morning, I had tears in my eyes because I knew what it meant. I knew... And as I was walking up, I had my head down because the tears were forming and everybody's cheering and happy, which I love. I love because I hear, I can't, but we can. And I am so, so grateful for that. And I know if I, if I leave, I'm not going to come back. And that's, it is fear, and I think right now it's an appropriate fear. I don't, I don't want to go back. I want to keep going. So I think that's enough. I talked more than I thought I would. Thank you.